and Galatians chapter 5, <clears throat> hopefully everybody will know this part, our passage by heart <clears throat> by the time we're done, and um, we're going to take a look at two tonight again, so we have a couple more messages after this, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And every time I look at this and get re- start preparing one of these messages, I can't help but my eyes always go up to verses 19 to 21 and think about the contrast. And there really is. There's such a contrast. And one of the sad things today is modern-day Christianity seems to think that we have to blend in with the world and be like them and all that sort of thing. And the, so the Bible is so clear. This passage like this. Um, if you want to live like if you live like the world, 19 to 21. If you want to live for God, 22 and 23. And there's no joining. There's no overlap. Should be no compromise. And so, um, let's pray before we even read and before we start in the message tonight. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that Father, you've called us through the gospel to receive Christ as our Savior. We thank thee for all that that means and everything that has been given to us as a result of that, all through the precious blood of Christ. And certainly, Father, one of the greatest things is the presence of the Holy Spirit in us and the things that he does. And here is a list, Father, we've been looking at, uh, this fruit of the Spirit, and we're thankful for that and for those qualities that are just not natural for us as humans, but supernaturally they can be manifest in our lives. And so, Lord, we thank Thee and pray Thy blessing on our, in our, on our time in the Word tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 5.22 and 23, once again, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And we get to the end of that, we'll explain a little more about that last, that last phrase or that last clause, against such uh, there is no law. Certainly there was a special application there or instruction to the Galatians and certainly we, we need that same application. So we'll probably have that in a couple weeks. But tonight... It is um, long-suffering and gentleness, right? And so let's start. Let's go there. The word long-suffering. If you, like I did in typing this out, you type it into the notes and you get that red underlining. It's not spelled correctly according to the modern-day computers. Um, It's supposed to be hyphenated, but that's all right. Um, we'll take the Bible the Bible way. Uh, so, but it's it's one word in English. It's one word in Greek, and it's interesting that the the meaning of the word literally is this: long temperedness is the idea. That's the definition, um, which is the opposite, of course, of short tempered. I've I've heard a lot of people described as being short-tempered. I don't think I've ever heard anybody described as long-tempered, all right? And obviously that's the, and that, so the idea there is patience, um, forbearance, and the, and the word, you know, sometimes, a lot of times, 
um, Greek words have like a one, a w one or two word definitions. Then it has like a longer application or explanation. And here's what the Bible dictionaries say about long suffering. It is internal and external control in a difficult situation. Which control could exhibit itself by delaying an action? Right? And so it could be then, the idea being, uh, long in, in reacting, long in responding or, responding, or re responding, or slow in responding. All right? And so, <clears throat> I want to take a look because God is our example, Christ is our example. So I'd like us to take a look at a couple of scriptures tonight that talk about God's long-suffering. Okay. God is long-suffering. We're going to take a look at three New Testament scriptures. It's also mentioned in the Old Testament. And so the first of these is in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, um, chapter number 1. And I think it's good for us to, to sometimes think about Paul before he was saved and what the Christians thought of him. Um, obviously they feared him. I'm sure that they didn't like him. They hated him because of what he was doing to the church. And yet he became one of them. He became a Christian. He got saved and became the Apostle Paul. And we know that. Everybody knows that. Every believer knows that. But I wonder if we think about what it, what it took for the Christians to accept him. In fact, they weren't going to. You know that story in Acts chapter 9. And Barnabas intervened and, and explained to them, yes, he's truly saved. And, and, then, and so uh, they did accept him. And I think about people today in this world. I mentioned this morning about the invasion by Russia and how we, we just abhor what's going on. Deplorable thing that, that Putin has orchestrated against Ukraine. And the way the Ukrainian people look toward him would be how the Christians look toward Saul before he was saved. Nothing but a threat. Hateful. And yet, now he's a Christian. Um, anyway, so there's people in this world that we look at, we see them on the news or whatever, and we, and we kind of shrink and we cringe and, oh, you know, and that's how that's upset Saul before he was saved. And there's no, I mean, I have no doubt in my mind that some of those dear Christians in Jerusalem, some of their, their relatives, had, Paul, Saul had been responsible for their death. And yet, that's what, that's what the blood of Christ, that's what the grace of God can do. Now let's, and Paul, he obviously, um, he uses himself several times as an example. And one of those times is in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. I'm, I believe and I, I know for sure that Paul never got over, just never got over it. Uh, the grace of God and what God did, what Christ did in his life. And so 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to take a look at God's long-suffering towards Saul. Verse 12 says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, in other words, empowered me, equipped me, for that he counted me faithful putting him into the ministry. Now it's interesting that Christ counted him faithful before he put him in the ministry. Or having put me in the ministry is the idea, but he saw what Paul would become. And then it says, this is what he was, and we know this, who, who was before a blasphemer. And who did he blaspheme? He blasphemed Christ. 
Jesus said, all manner of sin against the Son of Man shall be forgiven. Blasphemies. He said blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. You know, that's the unpardonable sin. But Paul was always one of those who was guilty of blaspheming Christ, who before was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And I'm sure that, that Jesus had Saul in mind in John 16 when he said, The day will come when he that killeth you thinketh he doeth God's service. And Paul was ignorant about that, but he thought he was doing God's work by stamping out this false religion. Of course, he came to know it. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first... Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering. There's patience and, and drawing him. Remember when God, when Christ appeared to Paul, he said, it's difficult for thee to kick against the pricks, the ox goad, the jabs. In other words, Paul was, Saul was being jabbed already. And no doubt one of the turning points was Stephen. When Stephen was being stoned to death and he looked up in heaven and saw Christ and then he, you know, he said, lay not this sin to their charge and all these things. And the Christians, their lives were a constant conviction, a goading, if you will, of the Apostle Paul. And so he says that Christ might show, Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering. In other words, the fullness of long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And so Paul was an example. The word pattern here is the same word that's, that's, that is, it's typos, where we get the word type or pattern or picture. Again, the idea being if, Paul, if Saul could be saved, anyone can be saved. Now we know, and we understand that. We understand that with God all things are possible. Paul's not talking about that. He's simply saying that if I, the chief of sinners is saved. There's nobody that's unsavable. We praise the Lord for that. All right, so then, in 1 Peter, we also see an example of God's long-suffering, and that's in the days of Noah. <clears throat> so God was long-suffering towards Saul. He was long-suffering towards Noah's world. 1 Peter chapter 3, And we'll start in verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that, that's like, in other words, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Right? And so there you go. So, we're all in the same category, even though Paul it, it called himself the chiefest of sinners. He was no worse of a sinner than you or I or anybody who's ever lived. For all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. And so because all, in Romans chapter 5, talks about all being under condemnation, so all can come under the free gift. Right? 
quickened by the Spirit, verse 19, by which also, that is the Spirit, he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient. In other words, at one point, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Let's stop there for just a minute. So Jesus Christ, when he was, while he was in the grave, in the spirit, he went. And he preached to the spirits in prison. All right? Not, didn't, wasn't offering them deliverance, but was, was pronouncing their doom. Their eternal doom, that their fate was sealed because of what he did. He triumphed over them, it tells us in Colossians. Now, who are those spirits? Well, it says these are the spirits that were sometime disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, where few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Now, those spirits are there, all right? And those spirits were a certain element of fallen angels who came into the world, according to Genesis 6, and they intermarried with humans and produced that that wicked race, all right? Now, um, the book of Jude and 2 Peter talk about, equate those, that those angels that kept not their to state are compared to the sinners of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was fornication. Alright? And of course angels can't do that these days. That's over with. That was a one-time thing. That's what the word sometime means at one time. One period of time they did that. And so if Interesting um, about this long suffering of God. We, we we mentioned that verse a little bit this morning in context of being thankful and all, and, and so on. Um, so while God was giving the world the opportunity to repent, Genesis chapter six verse three says God gave them 120 years. Yeah, His by Spirit shall not always strive with man. For that he also is flesh, yet his days will be 120 years. Now that 120 year period included while the ark was being prepared. And while Noah, according to Second Peter chapter 2, a preacher of righteousness. Well, who was he preaching to? He was preaching to the people around him. Of course, he didn't listen. So as God was giving long-suffering an opportunity to repent, they used that, the wicked world, to do evil. Just, just like today, God's being long-suffering, God's help, and yet people are using that, and they are being wicked instead of turning back to God. Now, the eight souls, that's obviously Noah, his wife, their three sons, and their wives, says they were saved by water. Now, I'm going to c- complete this even because it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting principle. Um, the eight people, all right, that's Noah and his family. They're in the ark. The Bible says they're saved by water. Um, the water, the same water that destroyed the world and all the people and all the animals and so on, the same water t- carried the ark to safety. Now, verse 21, the like figure, and there's that word type. So the same way, the same principle, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. In other words, baptism does not 
do away with sin, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the, the parallel that Peter is drawing here is this. Noah's family were not, they weren't saved by the water, they were saved by the ark. And we are not saved by baptism, we're saved by Christ. But one way that baptism does save us, and everybody here has been baptized, um, it keeps us from, it gives us a good conscience before God, toward God. And I know Christians that argue about that they don't need to be baptized and all that, but again, it's one of those things, in the deep in their hearts they know, and so they'll never have a clear, a really clear conscience toward God until they follow the Lord in baptism. Um, okay? Now, who's gone in heaven? Jesus, gone to heaven. But, but God waited for 120 years, and he gave mankind the opportunity to repent. And the people that always look, some people that look at the Old Testament, God's cruel and the flood, how, how could he do that? Well, God gave ample time, ample time for people to repent, and they didn't. And so the judgment came, the flood came. All right, now in one other one, I kind of hinted at this, is Second Peter chapter 3. And so God has shown his long-suffering toward Saul, toward Noah's world, and toward mankind today. Second Peter chapter 3. And again, we, and we're seeing this today, we're seeing the mocking. Second Peter 3 starts out by those that will be scoffing at, at, the, at, the, at the thought of Christ returning. And so in chapter 9, or verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack, that means slow or hesitant, in other words, he hasn't forgotten, and he's not unable and unwilling to keep his promise. As some men count slackness, the people count their means to consider or think. Oh, it's this preacher's been hollering about this for centuries. He hasn't come back, and they laugh and they mock. But here's the reason. According to the Bible, it's really the only reason that Scripture gives for Christ not having come back yet but is long-suffering. He's not slack. He's not slow. He's long-suffering. To usward. Well, who's usward? Toward humanity, toward mankind. Not willing. And that word willing means not desiring, not delighting that any should perish. Not de it's also the idea of a decree. God has not decreed that everyone perish any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. That's his desire to see people saved. So he's not willing. He's long-suffering. Again, he's that patience. He's, he's, if you want to call it, he's exerting control. And he's internally and externally because he has a long-suffering heart. Therefore, he is allowing people opportunity to repent. And again, they're using that that grace, and, and Jude talked about turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, which is loose living, rather than seeing it as the opportunity to come back to God. But the day of the Lord will come, Peter says. The day's coming. And I, the word of God makes it so clear that that judgment, when that comes, that's a vengeance. 
that's of vengeance. The day of the Lord, you know, is in the Old Testament, there were misguided people in Judah who were saying, well, we want to see the day of the Lord. And basically Isaiah said, no, you don't. <laughs> the day of the Lord is darkness and not light. It's gloominess. The day of the Lord is a day of vengeance. And again, it's, he's talking ultimately it's that day during that time that is called the day of the Lord is when all the, you know, the elements shall melt and, and all those things will happen and the dead will be judged for, and, and cast into uh, the lake of fire. Um, the enemies of the Lord will be destroyed. And so um, we, we need, and we need to think about this. When we, when we hear or see of people committing terrible atrocities and seemingly getting away with it. And why doesn't, you know, they need to be this, they need to be hung, they need to be shot, whatever. Um, well, again, God's given them a chance to repent, but try to tell people too that um, the judgment of God is worse than anything any court on earth could do. I mean, can you? I try. I try to think about it. I try to imagine what it's like when, when, and when some people, when people die, that we're pretty sure aren't saved, to realize what their what's what's their what their lot. Um, you know, it's it's worse than the electric chair. It's worse than lethal ejection. It's worse than any kind of punishment. It's ever, it's forever and ever and ever. And so I read the paper most every week, and one of the first things I do is turn to the obituary section and see who died. And, and every week, and I, I don't think a week goes by that there's not one or two people that I've known, and some of them I've talked to, and some I've tried to tell about the Lord, and, and some think there are those that are saved, but there are those I've, I, can, I can see their picture, read their obituary, and think, oh man, I talked to that guy. And he wouldn't listen. I hope that maybe he did at some point. The judgment of God. He's long-suffering. So, <clears throat> there's two things. As I mentioned one, he's long-suffering. Yet, interesting that if you want to take it personally, like if Peter said, like Peter wrote, he's long-suffering to us-ward. So, us, in oftentimes in the New Testament, us refers to Christians. He talks about us and he talks about them. So if that's the case, what is he saying to us? Yes, he's giving sinners time to repent, but how are they going to repent? How are they going to be saved? Therefore, God is giving us time to reach the lost with the gospel because that's how he's ordained it to be. So we think, think about the fact that he's giving us time also to get the word out. Now let's take a look at a couple verses that talk about our long-suffering, right? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Um, in our relationship with one another, the Bible says there needs to be long-suffering. That is with fellow believers. Verse 1 of Ephesians 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. That is the calling that we have of God, that heavenly calling, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering. That is patience, slowness to react, forbearing one another in love. And forbearing simply means bearing with or putting up with 
uh, with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so, uh, you know, it takes it takes long suffering for us to 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 love uh, each other and, and like we ought to, and to uh, you know not be critical. I mean, I thought about that. It takes long suffering for a pastor to put up with the people. It takes long suffering for the people to put up with the pastor too. And so, you know, thank God there's a pre- we have a good spirit. You know, thank the Lord for that. Um, but anyway, but the Bible says we're to be long suffering, patient toward one another, um, forbearing one another in love. I, I love that expression. We are to love one another. We love one another as God loved us. And it says there in 1 John chapter 4, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Um, all right, let's take a look at Colossians chapter 1. Our walk with the Lord. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 9 and following. So Paul, Epaphras, uh, one of Paul's fellow servants, brought a report to what was happening in Colossae. And so verse 9, he says, For this cause, also, we also, since the day we heard it, in other words, heard what Epaphras had to say, I do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So notice that's why we call this our walk with God. That you might walk worthy of the Lord. In other words, the way be that, a way that's acceptable to God, a way that's worthy of our profession as Christians, unto all pleasing. Right? Well, please God. Paul says, I want you to walk in a way to please God fully. All pleasing means the whole, the full realm. Being fruitful in every good work, in increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to the, his glorious power, unto all patience. And patience there is perseverance or endurance and long-suffering with joyfulness. And so God wants us to walk with him with all these things. And one of those is long-suffering. Long-tempered, not short-tempered. Right? And then giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, and so forth. And so walk with God. And it's important that we walk. That's a whole other subject um, about what it, our Christians walk with God. And these, supposed, these are some of the things that are to characterize that walk, and one of those is long-suffering. Because he is. And so should we. B. Okay. All right. Second Timothy, chapter four. Actually, we want to take a look at chapter two first. Second Timothy, and that is long suffering in our ministry of the word. I say our ministry of the word because the ministry of the word here is more than just me behind the pulpit. There's ministry with Sunday school. There's ministry with Children's Church. Um, opportunities like that. Good News Club on Wednesday. Um, opportunities to minister God's word. How are we supposed to do that? And, and, 
verse, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, 24 rather, verse 24, and the servant of the Lord must not strive. Okay, must not strive, that is be quarrelsome, argumentative. But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. So we need to look beyond what we see in the young people or the adults or anybody that we minister to and, and look at look at what we're trying to do with them, bring them to the point if they're not saved, bring them to the point of salvation. If they are saved, nurture them and, and, and help them to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And so that was one thing that, that Paul mentioned here to Timothy. Um, not, we mustn't strive, but, you know, the idea is to try to, to win the argument, you know, that sort of thing. Gentle and apt to teach, all right? Now, in 2 Timothy 4, Paul talks about that more. He kind of enlarges upon this. 2 Timothy 4.1, <clears throat> Paul says, I charge thee. It's too bad that we've lost that. Because we say, I'm in charge here. That's not what that means, and it's, that's not what our attitude should be. When you say, I'm in charge, it means I have been, I'm under God's charge. He's the one that's the boss. He's the one in control. He's the one, right, that we answer to. And so, to be in charge, biblically, means that we have been given a, cha a charge, a trust from God to do a certain thing. So he says, I charge thee. Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, at his appearing and his kingdom. Now here's what Paul, Paul says, this is my challenge, this is my charge. And you know, from the rest of the chapter, this is his, the final one. Right, because Paul later on says, I'm ready to be offered, and this is my last communication with you, Timothy. So these are my parting words. Here's what he says, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. In other words, instant means ready, always. In season, in other words, when, they're, when it's, when it's, when it's uh, timely, when there's results and when there's fruit, or out of season, you know, when there isn't any, all right? Reprove, rebuke, exhort, with what? With all long-suffering, patience, long-temperedness. Continuing to give the word, give the word, give the word. Long-suffering in doctrine, that is the teaching of the word of God. All right? For <clears throat> the time will come, and it came with Timothy, it's here with us, will come when they will not endure, who's they? The hearers, they will not endure sound doctrine. I find that if it wasn't so serious, it would almost be comical that these people that are hollering about doctrine, forget, stop giving us doctrine, all right? They're, they're doing exactly what the Bible says they'll do, and they're showing themselves to be reprobates, right? They will not endure sound doctrine. We don't want that anymore, you know. 
but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having its ears. Now, I mean, it goes beyond a lot of these, but, you know, people choose a church because they have rock music, and that's what they like. That's kind of like what he's talking about here. They find a place where they get what they want instead of what they need. Itching ears. They want their ears tickled. They want. It's all about them. There's a there's a selfishness today. People, it's all. It's got to be what I want. All right. It's got to benefit me. All right. And uh, by the way, it will. <laughs> if a person's in the kind of church that teaches doctrine and and does the things the Word of God says to do and cares about people, they will they will get something out of it. All right. But he says they won't endure sound doctrine. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And so today it's like they won't listen to the old stuff, so we've got to come up with something new. Now, do you see that that's a, the, Paul tells him the opposite? He says, preach the word. He says all that. For the time will come. Okay? There'll come a place where they won't endure sound doctrine. So Timothy, what do you do? You keep preaching it, whether they want to hear it or not. You don't change. Now look at what he says. Turned unto fables. There's a lot of that. But then he says this, But watch thou in all things. In other words, be watchful. Watch over. Watch over the doctrine. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Take heed to the doctrine. Don't let it ever slip. Don't let it get away. Endure afflictions. Don't back away, don't shy away, don't, don't, don't cower, don't be timid, don't give in or compromise, but endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. In other words, get the word out. Make full proof of thy ministry. In other words, fully demonstrate what, the, what a minister of Christ is supposed to teach and be. So that's his charge. He says, do it with long suffering. Keep on, keep on. I have a pastor friend whenever we talk, he always ends the conversation, well, brother, just keep on keeping on. And I said, yes, you do the same. We'll try. See you. Bye. Um, all right, another one. One more. That was in Galatians chapter 5, the next thing is gentleness. That's the next on the list. The word gentleness. We, we have a picture. We think of, we mention someone being gentle. We, we have an idea what that's like. And that's what the word means. It means to be gentle, to be kind. It means good-heartedness. Gentleness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. So let's take a look at just a couple scriptures. The, the word gentleness doesn't really appear very often, but synonyms do. And so another word, that's another translation of the word, of this word for gentleness is the word kindness. That's found in 2 Corinthians, all right, chapter 3. Let's go there. Second <clears throat> Corinthians, chapter 6. Giving no offense in anything, 2 Corinthians 6, 3, that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things, in approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, 
in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, in other words, all the things that come upon, came upon Paul and his, his companions and others through the years, by pureness, verse 6, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness. So you have both of them in this verse. Long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the left, on the right hand and on the left. And, and so he has all these, and he mentions all these different things. Is there any people, when you, when you hear the word kindness, is, does anybody, do people come to mind? I've heard people say, oh, you know, he's so kind or he, she's so kind. And we kind of think of them as, wow, you know, they're, they're way up there. Well, the Bible says all, we're all to be kind. We're all to show kindness, gentleness. All right, let's take a look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Of course, words of kindness, encouragement, deeds of kindness, helping, reaching out. Of course, the kindest thing that we can do is to give somebody the gospel. Um, Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, and this is one of those passages where Paul's talking about taking things to ourselves, putting them into practice. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as God, as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness or completeness. All right? And the Bible mentions often that we're not, we're incomplete as believers if we don't have love and if we don't have kindness toward those around us. Again, um, and that's, that's deeds and, and actions as well as words. All right? And then another related is the word courtesy. All right? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter three verse eight, eight and nine. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren. Be pitiful. That doesn't mean pathetic. It means full of pity. Be courteous. Pitiful is compassionate, merciful, and it says be courteous. Courteous shouldn't be rude. Um, courteous. Not rendering evil for evil, nor railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. So I love that. I like that. Courteous, pitiful. God wants us to be pitiful. So easy today not to be. All right, and I think that we can kind of gauge where we're at if we see somebody who's in, living evil or you know. Um, drinking, drugs, whatever. Um, you see them walk down the street, and if your first, re if your reaction is to, oh, I can't, oh, how ugly, how awful, you know, want, you know, you want to kick them, you know, go away from them, or if you want to go, if you feel like, you know, you put your arm around them and say, hey, you know, I'm, I want to help you. I want you to, I want to come to Christ. I want you to come to Christ. I want to show you that there's a better life. You know, that's the kindness. That's the pitiful. That's the courtesy thing, right? Um, and then Acts chapter number 28 is another one. 
Acts chapter 28. <coughs> this, is, this is quite a passage. This is where Paul ends up on the island. They're shipwrecked. Pagans. Apparently some of them came to know the Lord. They, um, you know the situation. They're, first of all, it started when, when Paul puts a bundle of sticks on the fire and this deadly snake fastens on them. And they say, oh, he's a goner. He escaped the sea, but vengeance, he's got to be an evildoer. Vengeance didn't let him live because he shook it in the fire, felt no harm. Of course, then they went to the other extreme. Oh, he's got to be a god. Paul said, no, somewhere in between. <laughs> but he had the opportunity to minister. And um, so, because of that, because of his ministry and his kindness, uh, he, uh, Paul entered and prayed over the father of Publius. Publius was like the leader of the island. And uh, he healed him. And it says in verse 9, So when this was done, others, all, others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed, who also honored us with many labors. And when we departed, they laid at us with such things um, as were necessary. I skipped verse 7. In the same quarters, same area, were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. courteously. So this man, Publius, received them, lodged them courteously. In other words, he took care of them kindly. And then it says, verse, 20, verse 10, um, who also honored us with many honors, and when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. So they gave them what they needed for their journey. So it was at some kind, certainly some cost to them. All right. And so courtesy, kindness, gentleness, is not only an attitude, but it's an, it's an action. And thank God that we see examples of that in Scripture. Of course, Christ is the greatest example of all. So these traits, um, you know, this gentleness, this um, long-suffering, like all the fruit of the Spirit, will truly set us apart from the world, make us different in, in this day in which we live. And so one last verse to kind of bring it all together. Um, the greatest incentive to living this way is found in Ephesians 4. Okay, Ephesians 4 and verse 32. Certainly gentleness is in this verse and even long-suffering could be put underneath this. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another. Be kind tender-hearted. That's kind of like gentle, good-hearted, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Why? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We need to think about that in our lives. The way God deals with us is how we need to deal with others. I could put it another way. If God dealt with us like we deal with others, would it be good? How would he deal with us? All right. You know, Jesus dealt with that all the time when he was on the earth. He gave the parable of the man who owned, who owed this outrageous amount of money, and the master forgave him. And then the same guy went out and the guy had a pitiful little sum, and he wouldn't, we wouldn't release him. He put him in prison and all that. And so the Lord is saying, you know, God has forgiven us so much. He's released our debt. Got, and so therefore we ought to be kind and show the compassion and the love of God to
to those around us and those especially well the Bible says in Galatians especially to those of the household of faith especially to our fellow believers and then also obviously we reach out the main thing we can do for the lost is to introduce them to the Lord Jesus by our lips and by our lives and it's wonderful that we can do we can do these things um, the word that Paul uses he enabled me God empowered him, and so we too. That's what he's talking about, the fruit of the Spirit. It's divine enablement by the power of the Spirit of God. So God bless. Father in heaven, thank you for this time that we can have in your word tonight. Bless your word to our hearts. Help us to be people of long-suffering and, and gentleness and all the things, the love, joy, peace that we've learned about these last few Sunday evenings. We thank thee, we praise thee, and we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books. 432. <clears throat> 432. So we think about what all that we've looked at tonight. And think of the what Peter wrote about God being long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. 432. Let's stand together. Let's sing just the first and the fourth. Verses Rescue the Perishing. Father in heaven, we just thank thee for the gospel of Christ. Thank you for this great message. And we do pray, even this day, uh, that throughout this country and around the world, that precious souls did come to know Christ. Please watch over us as we leave from here tonight. We're so thankful that the daylight is staying with us. And uh, just, Lord, be with us as we begin a new week. And 
Uh, just help us, O oh Lord. Use us to thy glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.